broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network. This is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Our guest for this program, Catherine Austin Fitz. My name is Dean Becker. I'm glad you could be with us. I want to start uh, today's show with a little quote. This is the best security for maintaining our liberties. A nation of well-informed men who have been taught to know and prize the rights which God has given them cannot be enslaved. It is in the religion of ignorance that tyranny begins. And that quote, of course, comes from Benjamin Franklin. I consider our guest on this program to be an old friend, even though I don't think we've ever met. She was kind enough to help kickstart the Drug Truth Network when she joined with Nobel laureate Milton Friedman on the New York Times Drug Policy Forum, which I was running at the time, approximately five years ago, to discuss the policy of drug prohibition and its impact on our economy and on our society. I think Catherine Austin Fitz will get a kick out of the official government truth with Winston Francis. Nearly every week we provide our listeners with the words of drug warriors, of those who think it necessary to fight an eternal war on our fellow citizens being an everlasting war on drugs. Prohibition. Despite the fact that just yesterday, the police associations of Scotland, thousands of officers, called for an end to the drug war. The end of prohibition itself, calling it a flailing, failing, hopeless cause. Choosing rather to regulate the distribution of uh, drugs to adults through state controls, much like what's done with alcohol and tobacco. We will continue to bring you the words of prohibitionists just the same because they are too cowardly to come on our program and defend their policy of hatred and lies. The drug war marches on. And do you know why? Because your security, your safety is more important than your freedom. That's why. Because you don't want people getting high and driving cars or flying planes or God knows what else. The drug war deters citizens from using illegal drugs, making our society a better, safer place. Without the security, what freedom do you really have? The freedom to become a victim of a drug crime? The freedom to become enslaved by addiction? This is not freedom. True freedom can only be achieved by following the rules that the government has laid out for you. These rules are there for your protection, for your freedom. Drugs breed criminals, poverty, violence, and death. They can be found on every street corner, even yours. They are the scourge of our society and threaten our very way of life. Drug legalization advocates contend that the drug war is an imposition on our freedom. But a quick look at the facts reveals that indeed, the drug war is freedom. This has been Winston Francis with the official government truth. Okay, with that, I'm proud to once again welcome Catherine Austin Fitz to our program. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Dean. It's so 
so great to be on the show. Well, uh, uh, thank you for being with us. I did. Did you, by chance, hear that official government truth? <laughs> I, I, I think it, it speaks. Uh, it's the the, the contra indicator. I, I don't know what I'm saying, but it. it, it, well, it I, I keep telling you, Dean, the, the drug war has been a huge success. So, <laughs> you know, if it, if it works for you, plug it, push it, do it. You know, it's all in the marketing. Well, but but I mean, he's talking about the drug war is freedom, and yet he's talking about drugs and violence on every street corner and and that that is the the contraindicator of of the popsicle index that, that you speak of uh-huh um right. i i'm proud that uh you, you know you're on our show and you are releasing today um a new study a new treatment that you have put together and uh, tell us about that please that's yeah, really um i went to the wharton business school and in business school uh one of the teaching tools that they use which is very effective is called case studies and so rather than just learn sort of what is a business model, how does the business model work, you have a case study that kind of shows you, you know, takes one company, one group of people, one story and lays out the economics so that you have an example of how the economics work. And I, you know, I talk a lot about tapeworm economics and how essentially the economic system in America is like a parasite. You know, you've got a group of insiders eating you know, kind of eating through the fundamental productivity. And um, and the notion of a tapeworm, Dean, uh, uh, is a tapeworm injects a chemical into your body that makes you crave what's good for the tapeworm and bad for you. And, and as I keep trying to explain tapeworm economics to people, I discover that the hardest thing for most Americans is they can't see the game. They can't see how the, you know, what's the business model of tapeworm economics? How does it work? And so we decided um, a year, it took a year, that we're launching this after a year's worth of work. We decided that Solari, that, that we really needed to create a definitive case study that you could use in a business school or a curriculum. And it had to be very serious and very documented on how tapeworm economics work. And what we decided to use is the story of, uh, it's called Dylan Reed and Company and the Aristocracy of Prison Profits. And it's the story of an investment by Dylan Reed. It's a Wall Street firm that I used to be a partner and member of the board at. Um, uh, it's their investment in creating and building a prison company called Cornell Corrections. And I weave the story sort of through the model of uh, really a debate that happened in Washington during the Clinton administration between a group of people of which I was a leader that wanted to do a series of things that would sort of improve fundamental economic health in America um, and build up strong communities and a group of people who really promoted drugs, the war on drugs, you know, all the shenanigans, including private prisons. And I tell the story of sort of this invest investment in the guise of all the support that it received from Al Gore and his team at the White House and the Department of Justice and how they really promoted this model of of essentially, you know, lockdown in America. And and that's the, I don't know, the troubling point for me. Uh, in your introduction, you talk about the fact that people don't realize that they are participating in so many ways with those that uh, would, would stymie our rights. Uh, the corporate. Right. I'll give you a perfect example. I was just at dinner the uh, other night, and I was listening to a woman started to talk about how, you know, everything would be fine in America if only Al Gore had won the presidency. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, 
Yeah. I, you know, and I just said, look, um, while that bunch was in office, $4 trillion went missing from the federal government. The Telecommunications Act got passed. All this criminality stuff got passed. All the honest people got run out of town, or a lot of honest people got run out of town. I mean, I've told the story of, of their targeting of Hamilton Securities Group and myself. You know, and, and you're talking about a, a group of people, and I leave it to the reader reading the article to determine, you know, what you, what you think of sort of the steady increase in fascism and centralized control during that period. But... What we've been watching, Dean, is a steady progression of, of more and more centralized control and more and more dirty tricks to do it, which has been entirely bipartisan. Um, and until we can see the game that way, uh, you know, we can't clearly see the dividing lines. We can't see sort of who's on our team and who's not. Well, I, I see it as these people in power um, serve as... A mutual admonition, uh, absolution society, if you will. That uh, he's a good Christian man. I know he couldn't be doing wrong. And they divert attention and move on to the next problem. Well, but I think it's very important. You know, the, 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 the article is called Dylan Reed and Company and the Aristocracy of Prison Profits. And it's really about aristocracy, whether, you know, it's the aristocracy that's operating out of Washington or the aristocracy that's operating out of Wall Street and sort of the double standard between, um, you know, those who go to prison and those who don't. Um, and, and one of the conclusions that I think any reader can, will draw from it is, you know, the people who are doing the, you know, there's no relationship between the people who are really doing the crime and who's going to prison. Um, and, and certainly in the example where I was personally involved, you know, in fact, uh, what I was watching was a process where a lot of young people who were innocent were getting swept up, you know, in all these drug raids. So, um, so you really, really see the double standard. But what, what I come back to in the story and I come back to in all of our discussions in my article that first got me in touch with you, Narco Dollars for Beginners, and that's the red button problem. Uh, in the summer of 2000, I spoke to a wonderful group of people in Philadelphia called Spiritual Frontiers Foundation. It's a group of people that goes off in a conference once a year to talk about how they can help our society evolve spiritually. And I was talking about at the time, the Department of Justice, a Department of Justice spokesperson had told a reporter that the U.S. financial system launders $500 billion to, of a trillion, $500 billion to a trillion dollars a year of all dirty money. So that's you know, tax evasion, financial fraud, it's a basket of things. And and we had a little conversation, it's about 100 people, about um, what would happen if we stopped being the worldwide leader in dirty money. And and they said, well, you know, the stock market would go down and our government checks would stop because we'd have trouble rolling of the deficit and our taxes might go up. And I said, okay, let's pretend there's a big red button up here on the lectern. If you push that button, you can stop all narcotics trafficking, hard narcotics trafficking, in your town, your city, your 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 state tomorrow. And uh, so, out of you know, so I said, who here will push the button? And out of a hundred people dedicated to evolving our our society spiritually, only one would push the button. And I said to the other ninety nine, why would you not push the button? And they said, we don't want our government checks to stop, we don't want our taxes to go up, and we don't want our mutual funds to go down. And that's what I call the red button problem, which is America as a society is deeply dependent on non-sustainable cash flows, including the cash flows of war and organized crime. 
And, and, you know, for a long time now, many of us have been the beneficiary, and it's only as, as you know, that, that tapeworm, that parasite is starting to eat through our muscle, are we starting to notice, hey, wait, this is what's called a non-sustainable system. Um, because it's non-sustainable, we're constantly having to... Um, we're constantly having to uh, to deal with the fact that that you know to keep this game going, we have to keep eating into into productive things, whether it's destroying the environment, destroying people, and so what we're facing really is is the question: how do we how do we stop our dependency on dirty money? Because for everybody who says they hate the drug war, they love a cheap mortgage that comes along as a result of all the capital that's pulled through the drug war and through the manipulation of federal credit, you know, connected to the drug war. So so there's a double bind, there's a multiple personality disorder, and, and where we can gain power over all the situation is where we start to integrate our desires as a citizen for a better country um, and, a, and a more just country and how the economics work, including our own economics because i told you many many times if you want to stop all of this it's real simple let's just pull all of our bank deposits out of Citibank and 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 you know the big banks jp morgan chase bank of america i mean you have a list of the top banks who are running the government deposits and bank accounts very corruptly and um you know we continue to vote with our money for those banks or vote with our money in the stock market our 401ks and our investments. So we have the power as soon as we sit down and say, okay, who's really at the top of this game and how do we play to win at economic warfare? Well, you know, this this uh, tapeworm economics you speak of, I, I speak of it uh, often as the uh, the war of terrors, the war on drugs with afterburners. But but more than that, mm -hmm. I, I talk about the the fact that we've been duped. And that the drug lords run both sides of this equation. It, it evolves well beyond that, but it is the same aristocracy that that uh, you know helps to create the prisons, helps to uh, uh, launder the money for the cartels, and it is our, I would say, obligation to face down these facts, to to challenge the people that uh, that run this game. Well, one of the one of the things I talk about in Dylan in the Dylan Reed article is um, I go through the lawsuit by the European Union against RJR Nabisco. Um, and have you read that lawsuit, Dean? I, I haven't read the whole thing, to be honest. No, it's better than a than a Tom Clancy novel. I mean, it's really it's like <laughs> I will. It's, it's the European Union on behalf of eleven sovereign nations of Europe. Um, so, you know, and, and needless to say, their intelligence capacity and military capacity is pretty good. And, and they filed a lawsuit against RJR Nabisco that describes, you know, significant worldwide intentional global money laundering by RJR Nabisco with the Russian mafia, the Italian mafia. You know, so these are their allegations. And, and if you, it's a, almost a 200 page complaint, and it really documents how. Cigarettes and 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 you can extrapolate other consumer goods are used to launder um, narcotics profits. Um, but what it's describing is a company that was at the time run by Lou Gerstner and uh, and and financed and managed as investors by 
uh, KKR, one of the top LDO firms in the country. And, um, and you know, Lou Gerstner has gone on to become the chairman of, of Carlisle Group. Um, and KKR continues to be one of the top investment firms and, and leveraged buyout firms in the country. And so part of what I'm trying to weave is showing you really, you know, if, if this stuff is going on, who, who leads it? And, and that's, that's the point. It is those stalwarts, uh, supposedly of society. It is the stuffed shirts that, that we, we think are doing, uh, good for the public that. Well, but, but I, let me, let me place devil's advocate. I mean, as you know, for many years I've been writing about this, um, and trying to do something about it. And yet in my day to day life, as I, as I go through my day to day life, um, I find that most people in our society, admire and hold people like Lou Gerstner and big corporations out as being very uh, very credible and very socially prestigious and very you know they're treated with great accord by the the very people who say they hate the drug war so I think there's an integration process that needs to happen where where if if we don't like these things that are going on we need to hold these folks accountable and there are ways to hold them accountable you know but it starts with voting with our money whether it's our purchases our bank deposits our donations our investments it's basically saying look if you're going to you know if you're going to play economic warfare against me and my family and my neighbors i'm going to pull the plug on you but but we have to do that in in our own intimate space I mean, if, if my brother is working for the tapeworm, you know, when he shows up in my living room, I have to call him out on that. Yeah. Because this is not a bunch of, you know, aliens doing this. This is our friends, our family, ourselves, our neighbors. You know, we're doing this. This is, this is uh, corporate imperialism, uh, so to speak. I, I see it as. Right. But, but let, let me go back because it's simple. There's $4 trillion missing from the federal government that left during the Clinton administration. And this is a, one of the big themes in Dylan Reed and the Aristocracy of Prison Profits is, is this $4 trillion of missing money. Because let me tell you something, Dean. If I can steal $4 trillion from a government, <laughs> yes. then I determine what the policies are. Because $4 trillion buys everybody and everything. I mean, that's just how it works. So, so it's real important who's, who got that money, and it's real important to get it back. And there are ways to get it back if you have enough of a political consensus, you know, that you ought to get it back. So now, if $4 trillion went missing from the federal government, that had to leave on the train tracks of the depository. The depository for the U.S. government is the New York Fed. Now, the New York Fed is owned and, by, and controlled by its member banks, Goldman Sachs. Citibank, J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, if there's $4 trillion missing from the federal government and the bank accounts are run at those banks, why are we still doing business with those banks? Exactly. Exactly. What? Well, Catherine, we, we are pretty much out of time. I'm sorry to say I'm going to bring you back soon. There's okay. much more we need to delve into here. Please give the, the folks the, the website of this and this new information. Uh, Dylan Reed and the Aristocracy of Prison Profits. It's at www.dunwalkie.com. D-U-N-W-A-L-K-E.com. D-U-N-W-A-L-K-E.com. And you can link to it from my homepage at solari.com. S-O-L-A-R-I.com. Dean, have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much so much. Well, Catherine, thank you for being with us, and I do appreciate it. Bye. Bye-bye. It's time to play Name That Drug by its Side Effects. 
Blurred vision, cold sweats, fast heartbeat, nausea, nervousness, shakiness, faintness, slurred speech, confusion, diseases of the adrenal, pituitary, and thyroid gland, or kidney and liver disease, and death. Time's up the answer. Insulin, another FDA-approved product. Drug czar of the Americas, John Walters. High-potency marijuana ought not to be considered as a marijuana was in the past. It ought to be considered another new drug. To learn the truth about this matter, I urge you to visit the website of the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org. And now for another black perspective on the drug war. In Tacoma, Washington this week, government lawyers tried to confiscate the gold tooth caps, known as grills, from the mouths of two men facing drug charges, asserting that the dental work qualified as seizable assets under the state's civil asset forfeiture statute. Under civil asset forfeiture law, drug warriors are able to charge your inanimate possessions with committing crime. Your property can be taken away and made to stand trial even if you are cleared of wrongdoing. And as many as 80% of people whose property is seized under federal law are never even charged with a crime. Still, your cash, car, home, business, or gold teeth must go to court where it is presumed guilty until proven innocent. This process can take years, and if your property fails in court, it gets turned over to the Department of Justice Asset Forfeiture Fund, which gives most of it back to the law enforcement agency that took it from you in the first place. The cops call it putting ill-gotten gains to good use. But what do you call it? A clear conflict of interest? A license to steal? Well, while they're strapping you into the dentist chair, getting ready to pry out your front teeth, think on this. If you had had a silver tongue instead and made your ill-gotten gains as a corrupt politician, you'd not only get to keep them, but could even use them to pay for your legal defense. <laughs> now, open wide... For the Drug Truth Network, this is Phil Jackson. The war on drugs has corrupted our judicial system. The I'll make them pay prosecutors are out of control. The system is broken and it's time to make a change. Stop punishing. We need to start fixing. Leap calls for the complete legalization of all drugs and subsequent regulation and control by the government. The idea, of course, is to have the government regulate and tax the sales of drugs in a commercial setting instead of them being sold by criminals to any and all comers in some alley, crack house, or bar. I've been in a few cocaine, I've seen a few cocaine laboratories under tent or underground in Columbia and meth labs, actually basements and barns, and the cleanliness of the lab was suspect, needless to say. And the cocaine or meth cooker was probably not certified by the AMA. So, as long as the bad guys are controlling these, who the drugs are being sold to, the children in this country will be able to buy those drugs. And the, the illegal narcotics aid, narcotics trade corrupts everything it touches. I mean, government, government officials, etc. Dean, there's a saying we have in league. You can beat an addiction, but you can't beat a conviction. Let's take the criminals and the obscene profits out of the picture, and we can get our streets back, and people will again respect the police, and our jail populations will be manageable. We might even be able to rehabilitate the people that are incarcerated for other crimes. For law enforcement against prohibition, leap.cc. This is Terry Nelson signing off. 
Okay, uh, Terry Nelson, 32 years as a federal officer. I think he said he uh, retired as a G-13, which is the equivalent of uh, a colonel, if you will. And uh, he's seen it all, and he knows it's time to end it. Uh, let's go ahead and do some of our other reports. New research shows that California's Substance Abuse Control and Prevention Act, also known as Prop 36, is working possibly too well. Prop 36 mandates treatment instead of incarceration for substance-using first- and second-time nonviolent offenders. According to UCLA's Integrated Substance Abuse Programs, Prop 36 saved California taxpayers $173.3 million over a 30-month period. On Thursday, the Justice Policy Institute released its study of the first five years of Prop 36. According to JPI, quote, since 2000, among the nation's largest prison systems that track those incarcerated for drug offenses, California reduced its drug possession prison population by the largest number, over 5,400 prisoners. California also experienced the largest numerical decline in the number of drug prisoners of the 10 largest states. This is great news. Now the bad news. Drug arrests in California rose 18% from 2000 to 2004. This may have been, at least in part, because with Prop 36 in place, it became much easier to process drug defendants. So, more drug defendants were brought into the system. The last half of 2005 also saw an increase in the drug prisoner population in California, for the first time since the passage of Prop 36. The program's success also means that the state needs to appropriate more money for treatment of Prop 36 offenders. The governor has earmarked $120 million. Advocates estimate that a minimum of $209 million is needed. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. Poppygate. Bizarre news about the U.S. policy on controlling heroin. Featuring Glenn Greenway. Each week, the Bush administration oversees the production of nearly 10 tons of Afghan heroin, the sale of which provides the country with the bulk of its revenue. In four and a half years of U.S. occupation, a time frame during which over 7 million Americans have been arrested on drug charges, only two significant Afghan heroin smugglers have been arrested. The Los Angeles Times reported on April 10th that computer drives stolen from the U.S. base in Bagram, Afghanistan, are commonly available for sale at the local bazaar. Among the classified information on these drives are the names of Afghan government agents involved in the narcotics trade, including the Afghan counter-narcotics chief, General Mohammed Daoud. The drives are reportedly stolen by local workers and American troops anxious to pay bills back home. In Lancashire, England, two men are dead and a woman is clinging to life after injecting heroin contaminated with flesh-eating bacteria. Afghanistan is currently the world's preeminent narco state, drugs production having increased to record levels under U.S. occupation, resulting in an unprecedented de facto and totally illegal American opium monopoly. This is Glenn Greenway reporting for the Drug Truth Network. I want to thank Catherine Austin Fitz for being our guest. Uh, the drug war is not for the children. It is for cowards 
who wear badges. It is for charlatans who wear black robes. It is for politicians afraid of losing your vote. Politi excuse me, prohibition is a scam that robs our society at every level. Next week, I'm going to San Francisco for the normal conference. I urge you to listen to the Mind and Body Connection, which was released just today. It is coverage of the fourth national conference on cannabis therapeutics, and it's now online at drugtruth.net. Next week on Cultural Baggage, we're going to interview Eddie Lepp. He's a man of God, now challenging the U.S. government for the right to grow cannabis for sacramental reasons. You know, you are the answer. You are the solution. You know the truth. It's up to you to stand for the truth. It's up to you to educate yourself, develop the courage, and to participate in making the change so necessary to this policy of eternal drug war. You are the solution. Please visit our website, endprohibition.org. There you can find links to about ten of the best uh, reform organizations on the planet. And it's about that time to close out. Once again, I remind you that because of prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jap dancing on the edge of the <laughs>